So if you've got your Bible, um, you can turn to Matthew chapter, we're going to be looking at a little, two passages in verse one, and then um, a, a few more in uh, chapter two. So you start by going to Matthew chapter one, verses 18. So Matthew 1.18 says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now skip down to chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that had, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are, are, life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we open up your word, uh, Father, we ask that through... Um, God, the light of the Holy Spirit shining on our hearts, uh, on this text, um, that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, working through your word, that we would understand this passage rightly, that we would apply it uh, in a way that um, challenges us, uh, God, and, and reveals uh, truth um, to our hearts. God, that you would use it, um, as we have already prayed, to form us, to make us like your son, Jesus Christ. In, in all things. Um, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, for its ministry in our lives. Uh, we ask that you would use it um, to those ends, God. We thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today is is what has come to be known over the last um, few years, or, or more than that, actually, um, Sanctity of Life Sunday. 
um, in in uh, the church. Um, not every church recognizes that as a as a sort of day, but um, but many do, um, and it is commonly uh, a day that is recognized in the Southern Baptist world, um, and that is a day to um, specifically um, address. Um, sanctity of life issues, whether that deals with um, things pertaining to um, uh, genocide and things like that going on around the world um, uh, that that deals with euthanasia uh, and and the intentional killing of the elderly um, and and particularly um, with the issue of abortion and infanticide. So abortion um, has been back in the news, not that it ever really leaves the news, but it has been back in the news in a, in a big way over the last few months um, as a function of this case that is being heard by the Supreme Court called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. Um, it is a it is probably the most important um, abortion case in certainly a generation. Probably it may be the most important one since Roe versus Wade. Um, and it is it, it represents um, probably, again, the greatest opportunity to curtail abortion um, since Roe vs. Wade. It wouldn't, it wouldn't probably eliminate abortion. Um, but what it would probably do is, is, uh, make states, each state much more able to legislate, um, uh, abortion within their own states. And so, um, in, in states that, that recognize, uh, the, the sanctity of life, r- abortion would become illegal and unavailable. Um, and so, whereas it's not a total fix, to the issue of abortion, it's certainly something that we should pray about and, and that, that it would, um, work to end the, the Holocaust, um, that is abortion in the United States. And so, um, the, the numbers continue to, they're, they're almost incomprehensible. Um, somewhere in the range of, of 62 million children since 1973, since the Roe vs. Wade decision, seven, 62 million children have been aborted in our country. Um, that is a, there's, there, there aren't words for that. We don't have, we don't have, um, um, descriptors to describe those things, right? A Holocaust. We understand concepts of 6 million, 10 million people, but to say 62 million people have been killed, um, through the act of abortion is, is mind boggling. Um, and it's a difficult issue, obviously, to talk about. Um, it is, it is one of the prime fronts of the, the culture war. Uh, and it should be. Um, and, and for Christians, it is a particularly important issue and yet also a difficult one to talk about because obviously sometimes, um, as we, we, we talk about the issue and talk about, um, the reality of it in our, in our world, um, we can end up sounding very hateful. We can end up sounding self-righteous. Um, but on the con, on the other side of that, we can oftentimes be very fearful. When we talk about it, worried that we will offend or, or hurt or ostracize someone who has dealt um, or committed an abortion. Um, the reality is, is it shouldn't be and it shouldn't be for Christians a, a political issue. Right. It is a moral issue. It is a dignity issue. It is a justice issue. It is a design of God issue. And so, again, we 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 zoom in on it. It should be something that's on our hearts at all times, I think. Um, but we zoom in on it on this Sunday um, each year. Um, so as we've been talking about uh, the, the and, I, and I'll be honest, I, I preached this passage two years ago. Uh, we were just revisiting it. You know, I, I don't expect you guys to remember my sermons two years ago. Um, if, if we two weeks from now, if you remember it, I'll, I'm, I'll be excited. OK, but but so but but the reason we're revisiting it is because it has to be revisited. 
Um, it's, it's the kind of topic that we can't just say, cool, we've talked about that once and we'll move on and not re- return to it. It has to be um, revisited um, regularly, yearly at least. Um, and that's why we're doing it. So we've been talking about uh, going through the Gospel of Luke. We've kind of taken a break from that. We will jump back into the Gospel of Luke in earnest next week. Um, but as we've talked about the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, Jesus actually leaves, uh, Luke actually leaves this story of Jesus out. We don't see this story in the Gospel of Luke. Matthew's the one who includes it. And so around this story, we are confronted um, with themes that obviously connect to the ideas of abortion and infanticide um, in the story of the killing of the male children in Bethlehem by Herod. And so, again, we could talk about this issue broadly, um, about abortion and different things broadly, but I want to zoom in on a particular perspective, okay? And that is the issue of, of the death of these children from the perspective of Joseph in the story. Um, Joseph plays a critical role in the protection of life in the account of Jesus' early life, okay? Um, again, Luke barely mentions Joseph. We don't know a ton about Joseph from the Gospel of Luke, but Matthew tells us more about him. And so that's why we're sort of pausing in Matthew before we jump back into Luke um, and, and timing it with, with Sanctity of Life Sunday. And what I want to do is look at the character of Joseph, look at, at, at Joseph, and look at his posture, look at his actions, look at his character in the passage as it relates specifically to how men should address the abortion debate, okay? Um, how men should address the issue. Now, again, most of these things are going to be applicable to men and women and, and, and all people or whatever, but particularly to how men um, should engage with this, with this issue, all right? So we begin briefly in chapter 1 with Jesus' conception and birth. And we see the heart of, of Joseph care, Joseph's character in, in that passage. Okay, so again, um, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay, so the first thing that is critical, I think that we see a picture of for men especially, but for everybody in general, as we come to the abortion discussion is a proper posture. The cultural moment that we live in makes us like fighters, right? We talk about this all the time. It makes us soapbox prophets. It makes us Twitter, one-liner burn kind of, of, of culture, okay? And the reality is, is we have recognized, or, and if you haven't, man, um, it's, it's the case is that that has burned a whole lot of bridges over the last few years. I was talking to a gentleman at our church who's about a generation older than me. And we were talking about some of the issues of the younger generation and the gap there that has happened over just the last few years because of a lot of that stuff, that, 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 um, antagonism, that burning the bridges kind of response to issues in, in the world, this one and other issues. But we see a different model in the manhood of, of Joseph, right? The example that he sets for us. And we can learn, I think, a lot as men from Joseph's reaction to the discovery that Mary is pregnant. Okay. So in one, that one line, it speaks kind of volumes about, about our character or the character that we should have. It says, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
So the divorce that's mentioned there is a reference to the fact that in Jewish culture, you had to get a legal divorce from betrothal. Okay. So Joseph and Mary are not married at this point. Um, they're, they're engaged. All right. But in Jewish culture, you had to get a divorce, a legal divorce from being engaged. That ties particularly into the sermon two weeks ago about divorce. Okay. And about the, those issues. And so it's outside the scope of what we're talking about, but that's a key aspect of, of what I talked about that week about how, um, I, I don't feel like that necessarily, um, adultery is a reason for divorce. Um, and I mentioned that in the, the, the sermon and I had a number of people kind of say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Um, what about what Matthew says? And that ties into that, but that's another discussion for, for another time. Um, but the key is what it reveals about Joseph's character. Okay. Notice this. All at once in that one passage, we see that one, Joseph takes sin seriously. He takes sin seriously, but also he approaches it with mercy. So here's obviously one of the heart-wrenching realities about the way we deal with abortion. We have to figure out a way to be honest and merciful in, in the situation. Okay. Because the reality is this. Here's the truth side. Here's the honest side. Abortion is murder. That means that among our friends, our family, our community, our church, there may be murderers among us. Some who have had abortions, some who have funded abortions, some who have encouraged or coerced someone into that decision. There are people in our midst who have participated in the murder of another human being. All right. That is a stark way of saying. But here's why it's important. Here's why we have to say it so starkly. For one, abortion is an affront to the dignity and the worth of that child who has been aborted. And if we ignore it, if we call it anything other than what it is, then we are doing another act of violence to that child. To downplay it in any way is to downplay that child's humanity, their value. To act like murder isn't murder is to perpetuate violence against them a second time, okay? That's the first reason why we have to call it what it is. And the second reason is this. We desire, on the part of those involved in the abortion, we desire reconciliation. We desire forgiveness. We desire that those people would um, would deal with that issue and return to Christ in terms of it. And the only way there can be reconciliation and repentance is if we call sin what it is. Sin has to be named. It has to be confessed. And if we don't call it what it is, then there can be no real repentance or or reconciliation. And so if we desire healing, if we desire mercy in this situation, there has to be a reckoning with sin. Abortion is murder. But here's the even more important truth, that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Sin, even the sin of murder, does not disqualify us from the kingdom of God. God's mercy and God's forgiveness are bigger than that sin. And the truth is, is that some people who have been mightily used by God in the history of his church, um, particularly in the scriptures, Moses and David and Paul have all been murderers or people who encouraged murder or who were complicit in murder. And yet God saved them and forgave them and used them mightily in his kingdom. And so the reality is, is we have to hold both of these truths out there when we discuss abortion. 
Joseph, I think, does that in his response. He is honest about the perceived sin. Now, again, it's not the exact same sin, right? We're talking about what appears to be an infidelity. But he is honest about the perceived sin. He acknowledges that there are consequences for that sin, which is the reason why there's going to be a divorce. But notice he doesn't do it with from a position of condemnation. There's no anger from wounded pride. There's no self-righteous judgment in Joseph. There's no vindictive vengeance. There's mercy and grace. He doesn't want to shame or condemn Mary. She has to be held accountable to what she's done or what he thinks she has done. And even though he thinks he has been personally wronged, which if she had been unfaithful, he would have been, there's still only kindness. There's not vengeance there or self-righteous judgment. So I'm sure the things that are going on in a, in a woman's mind, um, who has had an abortion, who are, who is contemplating an abortion are complicated, right? But the reality is, is this, we need to remember that by and large, the women who are seeking an abortion are not calculating militant pro-choice culture warriors looking to prove a point. Okay. That's not by and large, who's having abortions. The people who are having abortions are afraid. They are women who are afraid of all the things. They're afraid of what the pregnancy or the abortion, the, the effects it'll have on relationships, career, family, how they're going to manage if they have the child, how they're going to manage if they don't, what will people think, how will they go forward? The reality is, is that is not an opportunity for judgment on the part of those in the church or on the outside. That's an opportunity for honesty and grace in that person's life. I think Joseph, Joseph does that. He gives us a picture of that. And so, again, while the issue is a little different, it's not the same exact issue, but, but we see in chapter two, it becomes much more explicit because now we are seeing Joseph literally thrust into a situation that involves the murder of children. And what we see is that in that passage, men are called to be protectors of the innocent. Not only do we have in that second chapter a picture of positive manhood in, in the person of Joseph, but we have a picture of negative manhood in the picture of Herod. Herod perceives rightly that Jesus is a threat to his rule and to his dynasty. We've talked about that in, in Luke when, when the prophecies about Jesus are being told about who Jesus will be. And it says um, he will be the cause of the rise and fall of many, right? Herod is going to rise and fall. He recognizes that that is a consequence of Jesus coming. Verse 16 says, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So in an act of, of wickedness that we can almost not imagine, to do nothing more than to secure his own life and status, he commands the execution of dozens, maybe hundreds of little boys in the city of Jerusalem, in the city of Bethlehem. Herod is a man who values self-interest over even the lives of the innocent. And he acts in keeping with that self-interest. So here's the deal. In, in the, in the abortion debates from a, from the pro-abortion, pro-choice side, there's, there's a phrase that we always hear. 
my body, my choice, right? That's the rallying cry of the pro-abortion movement. But, but here's the deal. We know that many times that is a disingenuous cry. It is a disingenuous thing because behind that my choice is often somebody else's choice. Oftentimes there is a ashamed father, an irresponsible boyfriend, maybe an inconvenienced employer, maybe even an annoyed husband who is lobbying for the death of that child. Each in the moment are not looking to the well-being of the child or of the mother, but they are only interested in how this will affect themselves, their convenience, their desires, to save face, to save hassle at the expense of human life. So certainly that's not always true. Every single situation is different. And, and there are many, many times that a woman's independent choice uh, may be hers, but we, we, we know that many, many times a woman's independent choice is anything but independent. There's somebody behind the scenes who is pushing in a certain direction. But notice Joseph, it's not his own interest that he is concerned with, but Mary and jo- uh, Mary and Jesus. And Joseph answers this critical, sacrificial call to protect life. Verse 13, the, the angel says, rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. So when the angel comes to preserve life, who does he warn? He doesn't warn Mary, right? He he warns Joseph. The angel doesn't say, hey, Mary, this is your child. It's your decision. Uh, Joseph, until you have a uterus, um, you should just sit back and listen to Mary. You should back whatever play she wants to make. That's the, That's what you should do. Just keep your mouth shut and be supportive of Mary and what she wants to do. That's not what happens, right? God expects Joseph to act. God expects Joseph to protect the life of Jesus and Mary. Again, there's a line in the, there's there's a common thing that is said in in the the pro-abortion kind of culture that says, men, this isn't your issue, right? You don't get an opinion on this because this is a woman's issue. You don't, you don't get an opinion on this. Okay. But I want to point something out to you. It is always the pro abortion people who are saying that. When you ask women who have been in the abortion, the pro life position and have been fighting the fight on the front lines of the issue for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, let me tell you what you don't hear them say. None of them are saying, all due respect, men, you should probably sit with this one out, right? This is this is a women's issue. You, you need to sit this out. That is not what those women are saying. When you hear those women interviewed and, and you read what they've written, they are saying, where are the men? How can men sit back and watch what uh, amounts to probably the greatest Holocaust in human history, probably the greatest moral catastrophe of our time? How can men sit back and do nothing? In, in light of this thing, 
The pro-abortion movement says, men, you don't get an opinion because you're men. But again, realize that's because they're trying to eliminate half of their opposition. They're trying to eliminate half of the voices who would say, this is wrong and we need to do something about it. Incidentally, they usually turn to those pro-life women and say, you don't get an opinion either. Um, because you're not woman enough, because you don't toe the party line and you don't say the things that we're supposed to say or something like that, okay? But the reality is, as men, God has entrusted us with the protection of the innocent. And we're called to live up to that responsibility. And that means a number of things. At, at the very least, we do not use, we do not disregard women and children for our own benefit. We don't act like Herod. We talk about it from time to time. Since Eden, men have tended to fall into two extremes. We either have the tendency to become passive or we have the tendency to become domineering. We either act like bullies and tyrants, using and abusing those around us, particularly women, or we become passive, taking no initiative, no responsibility, call it Peter Pan syndrome, I want to grow up. I want to go someplace where I can just play the rest of my life. Always looking to women to take care of him. Always looking to women to clean up his messes, whether that's mama or a codependent girlfriend or a put-upon wife. We do not use or disregard women and children for our own benefit or out of our own irresponsibility. So let me say again, at the very least, that means a number of things. We pursue sexual purity. We pursue sexual morality. We reject a pornography culture. We reject a promiscuity culture. We reject an anti-marriage culture. We reject a boys will be boys culture. We remember the nobility and the virtue that we are called to as men. And a second thing is we accept the call to preserve and protect the lives of the innocent. Again, the culture is very bipolar when it comes to these issues, okay? So on one side, the culture will look at men and say, hey, men, we want you to step up. We want you to be accountable. We want you to be responsible for your, your actions and, and, and the way you are. But at the same time, it also says, but, but hands off a lot of these issues, right? These are women's issues. You need to mind your own business and, and stay in your lane. Um, but here's the deal. We don't take our cues from the culture as men. Um, we don't hide from it. We don't refuse to be called. Um, we don't refuse the calling of God. We refuse to be called down by the world. And we step up into what God has called us to. Men protect the innocent. And so now, again, having said those things, let me zoom in a little bit tighter and say point to a few things, because not only do we protect the innocent, but we servant heartedly provide for children and mothers, sometimes children and mothers who don't belong to us. So notice what happens in this passage. Notice the language, and it uses it multiple times. It says, rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. That language is used a couple of times. He doesn't say, take your child and your wife 
and go to the land of Egypt. He says, take the child and his mother. Okay. Now maybe I'm, I'm, I'm making too much of that, but the emphasis of the language seems like it is focused away from Joseph's personal relationship to them. Right. God is not calling him according to Joseph's relationship to these two people. He's talking about them as if they are their own deal. Because obviously, in a sense, Joseph is not Jesus' father, right? He's a he's a stepfather or something. He's an adoptive father. Um, and the reality is, is Joseph is going to have to make big, hard decisions for the child that has been entrusted to him by God, but a child that doesn't really belong to him. Consider this. Joseph has given up two homes in under a year. First in Nazareth and now in Bethlehem. Livelihood, community, disrupted. Think of what Joseph has been asked to do as a function of being Jesus' adoptive father. Okay, And let me put it to you in a way that it's not quite a one-to-one correlation, but brings it um, into to us a little bit. What if tomorrow somebody walked up to you and handed you a child and said, this child will be dead tomorrow unless you go now, move to a foreign country. No time to sell a house, no time to line up work, no time to figure anything out. And I can't promise you how long you're going to be there. What do you do? Well, Joseph twice says, pack your bags. We've got to go now. Men, there are going to be ways that we have to step up and serve children who are living because we have encouraged their mothers not to have abortions. Does that make sense? If women have less abortions, there are going to be more children who need help. Sometimes, again, the charge is leveled against the church. Man, well, you only care about children before they're born. You know, once a child's born, the church doesn't care anything. You, you don't care about anything. There's an Italian word for that. It's baloney, right? Um, that's garbage, okay? Christians are two times more likely to adopt. Generic Christians, right? Just not titled Christians. Catholics, three times more. Evangelicals, five times more likely to adopt or foster. Countless pregnancy, pregnancy uh, resource centers, adoption agencies, ministries meeting every aspect of care and life, not to mention the normal daily care and ministry of churches all across the country, right? The idea that the church doesn't care about the life of children after they're born is ludicrous for anybody actually looking at any metric, okay? However, it still may be true of our own individual lives. We might look at a situation and say, yeah, I'm very pro-life, but at the same time, man, I'm not really doing anything and I'm not particularly concerned and not particularly serving or sacrificial in any way when it comes to helping in these areas. And so the reality is, is if we care for women rightly with mercy and truth and gentleness, it will mean sacrificial care on our part at some point. 
And there's no cookie cutter expectation. You know, I, I, I can't give you a scenario where it's like, hey, man, each person in here has to do this, this and this or whatever. There's not any way to do that. But I can give you at least maybe three ideas, three overarching kind of ways of, of service and, and need and sacrifice that may be the case. Um, one, if a woman is going to have a child, it means there are going to be more needs in the area of adoption and fostering and things like that. Right. There's just going to be if women are choosing to have the child instead of aborting it, many of those children will be put up for adoption. So we may be adopters. We may be foster homes. We may have some sort of respite care or acts of service, certainly prayer, certainly encouragement. When we look back a couple of years, 2019, we were talking about, and, and we're still talking about it, but we've been taught, we were talking about those particular areas of, of ministry where the Bible seems to focus often. And that is in the case of, uh, sojourners, foreigners, widows, and orphans, right? And so out of that was birthed the ESL ministry, right? We're not a huge church. We don't have unlimited bandwidth and resources and stuff like that. But but out of that was birthed the ESL ministry as a manifestation of saying, hey, we're going to try to reach out and minister to sojourners, to people who are who are living inside our country who are from somewhere else. OK, and about the same time, um, we started having a number of us started having conversations in a broad sense about adoption, about fostering, about issues that relate to that stuff, going to some different meetings and some organizations around uh, East Tennessee that, that provide services and different things, having conversations about those things, thinking about ways that we could be involved in that. And then 2020 happened, right? Um, and and all that stuff kind of got put on the back burner there for a while. The rules all changed and riots and elections and the world fell apart and all that stuff like that, right? Um, but the reality is this, it needs to be revisited. Um, we need to re-look at that. Um, I'm interested in moving forward um, in that, at least starting to talk about it. And again, there's no cookie cutter thing. I don't know what it'll look like. Um, but talking about ministry to orphans, ministry to the fatherless, to the motherless. Because again, if there's fewer abortions, you can expect that there will be more needs in those areas. Um, two, um, you can serve that mom by recognizing the specific challenges that are going to come to her and provide some extra consideration in those areas. Okay. If this mother is going to have the child and not abort the child, then man, she's probably going to need some extra, um, consideration in terms of employment, coworkers, neighbors, as churchmen, recognizing all the unique challenges that she has now because um, she's a single mom and there are going to be ways that she needs extra help. Um, and for us to ignore that or simply act as if it isn't our responsibility and that undercuts the, the power of the argument of the pro-life side, right? It undercuts the, the calling that we have in our lives and the witness that we have of Jesus Christ. And three, and lastly, and we'll close with this. You can serve those children by being a positive male influence in their lives. Again, not all the situations, it's all different, but there are certainly going to be lots of situations where the reason this, the issue even arose is because of the lack of a, some male presence there, right? There is a, there is a guy somewhere who is not living up to his responsibilities. That's why the abortion was even contemplated. And that's why um, the mom is, is in, in this situation as a single mom now. And the reality is this, man, you can't be their dad, 
Like you can't fill that role. There's, there's certain roles that can't be filled. Um, but you can be their friend. You can be their mentor. You can be a role model. You can be a children's worker. You can be a youth leader. You can volunteer with the boys and girls club or something like that. You can be a scout master. You can be some kind of mentor who steps in and fills the role of, we'll say a big brother for that kid, because there's going to be tons of opportunities for that. Um, if things go the way we want them to go in the abortion debate in our country, right? Um, I would love to see tomorrow the Supreme Court come down and make it so that the state of Tennessee said there are no abortions. But man, if we are, if that means certainly a million plus children born every year, um, who would not have been a million plus children who need um, care and help uh, and, and the ministry of the church in their lives. Okay. Um, so what I want to do right now is, is kind of closing on that. Um, it's just to go before the Lord uh, in a time of prayer. Um, and, and I don't know what that looks like, man. Again, those are big decisions, right? These are big decisions in terms of how they affect our families, our daily lives our, and everything like that. And I don't know what that looks like for you and your family. I don't know what it looks like for my family. Um, but it's something that needs to be on our minds, in our hearts, something we are addressing and praying through, particularly in our time. Because again, man, things could change real quick for the better. Um, there could be some amazing prayed for, fought for decisions made in the next few weeks and months, um, that will change the game when it comes to this issue. And so, um, we can be, uh, preparing for those things in our hearts, um, and obviously the issues are already present. We don't need to wait for a decision to be made because there are things that need to be done now. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we ask what a child's life is worth. And as we ask that question, then, then perhaps the next question is, is what might it cost us as, as individuals, as Christians, as fathers and as families? God, what does choosing life cost the community. Father, we ask that you would move in our hearts, um, that there would be a passionate concern related to these things. God, that we would not look away and act as if um, these issues, because they do not directly affect um, me or, or my family, um, that, that it's not my problem. But God, that you would help us to recognize the great call uh, that you have on, on, particularly on men, Lord, um, to serve and to sacrifice uh, for the innocent. God, keep these things fresh on our minds. Stir in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit what this looks like, how it can be applied, um, what this would mean for, for our homes and our families and our churches. <clears throat> God, we want to see uh, life 
prevail. Help us to be um, people who uh, fight for and protect that life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Good to see you. Glad you're here tonight. Glad we got to meet back together. Um, uh, glad all of us who were sick are, looks like on the mend, uh, hopefully. Um, but uh, we'll continue to pray for that and pray for, for healing and, and people avoiding being sick who are who haven't caught it yet. Because, man, it's out there. It's everywhere. So um, be careful going home. As I'm sure you've seen the, the uh, salt trucks driving by and stuff like that. So it looks like there's salt in the roads in anticipation of them freezing. So be careful driving. Um, and we will um, see you next week. Here's this, here's this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.